On this episode of Building Men, be unapologetically you and don't look back. A conversation with former UFC heavyweight, the crochet boss, Maurice Green. Welcome to the Building Men Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Meralda. Last time you focused on self-care and the holistic health of your body. GM Revolution is a men's skincare line with a mission to introduce men to proper skin health. GM Revolution offers five skincare products that act as one to give men exactly what their skin needs. Whether you struggle with acne or you're looking to prevent fine lines, GM Revolution works hard to strengthen your body's largest organ, the skin to fight as your body's first line of defense against your environment. Using code BUILDINGMEN, one word, you can save 15% on all of GM Revolution's products and start seeing the physical and mental benefits of skin care. GM Revolution encourages you to be the revolution in your own life. Now, back to the Building Men Podcast. Welcome to the Building Men Podcast. My name is Dennis Moral. The Building Men is geared toward helping you become the strongest version of yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. I'm thrilled today to be joined by none other than the crochet boss, Mr. Maurice Green. Maurice, welcome to the Building Men Podcast, my man. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. How are you doing this morning? Oh, can't complain. You're ready to go. You got a, you got the coffee. I can almost smell it through the computer. The co- coming. You know, I got my, of course, I got my yarn and, uh, yeah, keep my hands busy while we're doing this, right? Absolutely. Why not multitask? Kill two birds yeah. with one stone. So you're you're just a fascinating man, in my opinion. You are this, you know, physically intimidating figure. You're 6'7", what, 240, 235, something like that? Yeah. yeah. All right. Wow. And a, a, you know, former UFC fighter mma and you're also an avid crocheter so walk ta- start kind of w- walking us through your journey from maybe start wherever you want and your you know in your in your background maybe in school how you started in school and how it led you from there to where you are in front of me now is this you know we talked about it before as we were getting to know each other kind of like the black wolverine in front of me here <laughs> where you can kick some ass and crochet at the same time um man in school i was just a normal kid man Used to get bullied in school, actually. Um, I had a I had a big brother. I, I have not had. I have a big brother and a big sister. My big sister, her name is Debo. That's, I know Debo passed away, but we still got Debo. My sister's like 5'10", bro. She's she's whooping all dudes <laughs> that I know of. <laughs> she, used to, she used to help me out in school. And then my brother played D1 ball, but uh, I grew... I thought I was going to play like basketball or football or do something like my brother. But then I, I grew six inches in summer of my sophomore year. So all of my athletics for high school were dead. You know, I had a lot of growing pains. Yeah. So when I got out of school, which I always had a rough kind of, kind of a tough time in school. It's not that I didn't know. It's just like the retention of some of the like books and I would have to read it over and over and over and over again to, you know, to retain it. And uh, when I got out of school, um, I blew up to about 330 pounds and uh, I couldn't find clothes I wanted. I really, I used to buy a lot of sneakers. So um, I started a clothing line with a business partner, Johnny Bravado, 
rest in peace, Johnny Bravado. He ended up he they they told him he wouldn't live past I think he said twenty one. He ended up getting him getting his bachelor's at Columbia in Chicago wow. and running a clothing line. We split as business partners right before I started MMA, but he ran this clothing line until he passed away. It's called MB the Core. But uh, I started doing something. I wanted to do something different for the line. So I saw this this girl I used to work with at, at, at this company in Palatine, Illinois. She came in with a scarf. I said, who made that? She said, my mom made it. She goes, but she taught me how to make it. And she had knitting needles. I said, I want to learn. So we went to, literally went to uh, Joanne's on lunch. I got, I think they were like this big knitting needles, big ones. Yeah. And uh, I got some Lion Brand Thick and Quick Yarn. And I made my first scarf and I was, I would knit. So at that time I would, I would take the Metro train in, in Illinois from Palatine to Chicago then from Chicago back to Waukegan. Cause I didn't have a car. Right. I made dumb decisions. Got a DUI. lost my, you know what I mean? But I still had to go to work. I was going to lose my job and it was a good job. So I commuted like six, seven hours sometimes for an eight hour day, but it gave me something to do. And I, 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 I would knit. Well, I started selling my stuff on the train started selling it. You know, the people walked by, they would just be taken back. And after I met my fiance, that's when she was like, babe, why don't you learn how to crochet? It's faster. So I got on YouTube and here we are 15 years later, still crocheting the dopest shit known to man. <laughs> so you've all, there's so much there, Maurice. I'll start with all oh, that. The coffee looks great, by the way. Hey, you see it's yeah. Man, I'm, I, I'm definitely, I'm feeling the, uh, Mind if I drink some coffee on here. I, do whatever you want to do. Listen, this is your world. I'm just living in it right now. Oh, yeah. So nice. <laughs> yeah, does, does it say Jackson up there for you? It too? does say Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's because my you, son is this. Uh, it's your son's thing, right? So you yeah. have you have a couple kids. How many kids do you have? I got two. Two kids. Okay. And yeah. I'm, I mean, just them seeing you. And you're, the journey that you've been on, one of the things that I'm so fascinated with is people that have gone through a challenging spot in their life that they kind of, they're looking around and they, they don't know what their next move is going to be. And they're kind of in this low spot. Right now. And kind of, but then they figure out a way to, you know, to persevere, to get through it. That's, that's what my message is about is how do we, trying to learn as much as I can from all these different men that have been through something challenging and are able to pick themselves up. So I'll start with your, you mentioned you went through a situation when you were in school and you were bullied. Um, We definitely have that in common. And um, we both share someone in common, Shira Blumenthal and Shira is the founder of Hat Not Hate, which is an anti-bullying organization. You are one of the people that she's interviewed and you know, you've know you gone along on that journey. And I work with Shira as an educational director for Hat Not Hate. So we definitely have that in common where I was bullied when I was a sixth grade student. And it was something at the time I remember thinking, what's wrong with me? What did I do wrong that these kids are tormenting me and picking on me? And it, it kind of changed how I showed up for a long time in my life. So take yourself, take me back to that point in your life. How old were you when you were bullied? High school, high school, freshman year, freshman year, because I was still short. I was still fat. I was round. Yeah, I was short and I was round. Uh, but it's funny because they only bullied me when my brother wasn't around. You know what I mean? And there's really nothing I could do about it. Like, I didn't fight. I didn't have to fight growing up. You know, that's why it's pretty ironic that I do mixed martial arts now. Yeah. Because if you talk to my buddies, I'm in Chicago. So I'm from upstate New York. This all happened upstate New York. Then my parents divorced. I moved to Illinois where my dad 
did his basic training and retired at Great Lakes from the military. So my dad's like, retired military, he worked for the railroad union for like 20 some years. The man works his ass off. I said, dad, I'm not lying. I'm not afraid to do that, but I'm not trying to do that. You've been working hard for like 43 years, bro. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. You're going to get two retirements, but God damn. <laughs> I mean, he works in the railroad and then, he, and then he was a CB. He was a construction worker in the Navy. Um, but what was I saying? I do this a lot. That's all right. Apologize. Yeah, just you're when you were you said you were you were bullied as a freshman in high school. So that yeah, experience. I didn't I didn't I didn't know how to fight. I was scared. I was scared of a confrontation. That's why if you go back and look at my high school sports, like football didn't work well for me. Cause that collision, you know, that collision, it scared me. And um then I moved to Chicago and I met I met I met my some of my best friends now. But back then, you know, they're Chicago boys. It's a whole different thing when you move from the country. I lived on I grew up on 28 acres of land on a hobby farm in upstate New York. I was one of 11 minorities in my high school. That's, and then I moved to Chicago, left all my doors open, um, left my keys in my car, you know, when nobody come to stay and if they were going to steal it, somebody's going to see them. That's how small the town was. So that experience in, in high school, you, you're going through bullying and you mentioned if your brother was around, nobody fucked with you. Yeah, or your brother, or your, uh, Debo was around. But when your brother wasn't around, did you feel like there was someone else? Did the school let you down? Is my is my thought? Were you uh, let down? No, no, okay. I can't. I, I I can honestly say my high school brought up in Perth. They probably one of the best. Miss Blowers at the time, rest in peace. Miss Blowers passed away, but uh, Miss Blowers was the best principal. We had Coach uh, Coach Zisk, and he was one of the, he was my one of my brother's football coaches. He was the vice principal. Damn, I still remember all all of them. I I, I can't say that my school let me down because okay. my school. I mean, there was eleven minorities, so that's not even black. That was minority. So, um, man, I, I had a really good upbringing, despite my parents being divorced and my dad remarrying, my mom being a lesbian. Like I had a I had a pretty good upbringing, so. Um, but on the bullying side, there's just sometimes that nobody, there's just those times that nobody's there to help you. And those are the times that I got bullied the most. Yeah. And uh, I remember yeah. I was coming. It's funny because he, uh, he follows my fight career now and he, he friends with me. Well, he, he, you know, he, he grew out of it, but, uh, I remember I was coming, I was getting ready to go up the stairs. He was coming down the stairs. He grabbed me by my chest and slammed me against the wall. Boom. That's one of the most vivid mem- memories that I remember. I went and told my brother, and then my brother grabbed him by his neck. But, you know, I didn't grab him by his neck, though. <laughs> no. Um, but no, you know, ultimately, I, the reason why I started doing MMA, people want to know why I started doing MMA? Well, I was 330 pounds. Like, we were at a bar. All my boys got to fighting, right? I don't fight. I went and I hid. I was hiding. Now, mind you, I was the biggest one they ran with. Six, seven, 330 pounds. I was hiding. My boy was like, Mo, remember when I ran over there and just, uh, I'm like, nah. He's like, why? I said, bro, you want me to tell you where I was? I was hiding, bro. He goes, never. He goes, Maurice, you were never really a big fighter, you know? So the, the fact that I told my buddies, I was like, yo, I'm about to take a fight in 30 days. That's how MMA came about. <laughs> so I'm going to take a fight in 30 days. 
the gym I was going to said, mm, we'll send guys out to corner you, but we can't put our name on you, Maurice. We don't think you're ready. I said, ah, I'm doing it anyway. And it was, now I think of it, it was to prove to my, my guys that I could fight. And I still couldn't fight. Now I can fight, fight my ass off. Um, but everybody I fight, they can fight too. <laughs> so it makes a little different. <laughs> yeah. Um, but man, MMA is more of a, you know, MMA makes martial arts as a whole. And I, and I encourage all kids, parents, adults, um, jujitsu and kickboxing. It gave me, uh, gave me confidence, man. It gave me confidence. Like, I tell my son this all the time, you know, he's like, dad, I don't want to fight. I said, son, you don't have to learn how to fight. But what I need you to learn is I've been there. I've done it. When things get heated, you get scared. Okay. You get scared. Trust me, daddy gets scared too. The only difference is I'm able to put that down. Like, all right, I may have to, <laughs> may have to put the dust busters on and what's cracking. Back in the day, I wouldn't do that. You know, and I'm just trying to tell him like, son, it's going to build your confidence knowing if somebody comes at you, Hey, I could, I could disable him. You know, everybody wants to punch. No, I'm just going to kick you in the face. I don't even got to touch you. You'd be very far from me, you know, or I could just like little things like that, that builds your confidence. So I stopped looking to feel like I had to, uh, had to get validation from my, 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 my buddies, you know, um, and it was more so like, you know, like now, man, I move and I move how I move and I'm aware, you know, I lived in Chicago for eight, nine years. I'm aware, very aware of my surroundings. Um, but man, I just, now, now it's lovely. You know, before there was always tension. I don't got tension. I'm, it, MMA builds a certain sense of confidence. If you come from where I come from, you know, as far as being bullied, some of those guys, they were born and bred fighters. This is what they do. Like that boy Kamora Usman, he been he been working his whole life. He's a born bred, yeah, he's a beast. But he's a he's a UFC welterweight champion right now. He's a beast, and he's yeah. one of the guys I met actually. Very. What you said, I, I could just picture being in that situation. So now you're looking internally. You're looking at yourself in the mirror. You just hid from this fight. You're. Six seven three thirty, right? And you're probably like, "What the? F- why didn't I? Why couldn't I do something? Why is that fear in me?" And then you you sign up and you're gonna fight in thirty days to prove to your boys that you you had it in you. Basically, was there a moment you like? Can you almost replay that moment in your head when you're looking at yourself, saying, "All right, now I'm gonna make the move. I'm gonna take the step. I'm gonna join the class." For me, I had this moment in my life where I I can still remember it vividly, where I was like, "I'm gonna make a change right now in my life." And instead of going down the path that everybody thought I was supposed to go, I'm going to change and go door, go down this more challenging path. Times in life, actually, uh, you know, when I was when I was young, before I met Kaya, I met her in Illinois. She was going to DePaul, actually, and my roommate, my roommate was dating her at the time, and we were friends for about six months. But um, um, my mom, what was the question again? At that moment where you're you're kind of looking at yourself in the mirror, was there? Would, do you remember that moment where you just made the decision that I'm going to make this change right now? Yeah, so it was right after I got my DUI. Actually, uh, I moved about 30 minutes outside of where I was living at because when I was young, I was like, "You live one life." I mean, I did every drug under the sun. I partied till the wee hours in the morning. Uh, 
all all the bad things you could have probably done in life, I've probably done all those in this process, right? Um, but I took myself away from that environment. I didn't have a car, so I couldn't get back there. And it was only 25, 30 minutes, right? But none of your boys want to come pick you up every time, right? Right. Um, so that I made a decision, right? I cut off a lot of the people who were toxic. Not said they were bad people, right? But they were just toxic. They weren't gonna, they weren't gonna help me on my journey the other way. Right. If anything, they'd be like, Mo, why, why are you doing that? And at the time I had a friend, Will Brooks, and he went on to be a Bellator champ. And he would he'd shadow box. And I'm like, dude, why you always shadow box and grab a beer? And then when I started fighting, I realized. <laughs> Cause I started shadow boxing just like that. And it becomes a, an obsession. And um, in that process of me taking that first fight, man, I, I cut a lot of people out and not, not even cut a lot of people out. They didn't know no difference. Right. They wanted, they needed me for something and I wasn't there to give it to them. So it didn't matter. Um, and MMA kind of saved my life. You know, it got me on a, on a good path, you know, and then I thought you get the UFC Everything is Gucci. Uh, and then I found myself 3-0 in the UFC in the first, you know? And that was uh, that was kind of like, a, oh, shouldn't feel like this. Shouldn't feel like this. I'm in the best organization. I'm undefeated. Now, mind you, my next five fights, I went one and four, and that's why I'm not in the UFC. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, I was depressed. I'm actually happier now with the one and four record than I was when I was 3-0, man. It's not even a record, right? It's called, it's the effort. Like I came up short. I did some things wrong. I'm learning on the biggest stage to learn on. And I ran out of time to learn. You know what I mean? That's kind of what happened. So we go back, we regroup. Um, and, and then we, I'll get back to the UFC. But um, yeah, man, I just, my, my life is taking a wild, 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 crazy, crazy road. I mean, I'm still on it. I don't know what the future really holds. All I know is uh, all I can control is what I can control. That's why, that's what I always say. All I can control is what I can control. All the shit I can't control. I don't let it stress me out. I can't control it. (laughs) You know, your mindset is such that even these minor setbacks that you're having, you kind of reframed your thinking to where you're not taking it as I lost this situation or I'm down in the dumps. Now you're like, all right, this happened to me. I get to decide how I make that work in my brain. And I could say, okay, this will open up a new door for me, a new opportunity for me. Yeah, man, I got a platform. This people, you know, I got 20 K followers, which is not a lot, you know, there's other guys that got way more than me. I don't know how real they are, but I, I built 20,000 followers strong. That's, that's a strong following. Not a lot of, I mean, maybe I got some fake ones in there, but I don't know. But that's, that those, those, those followers are there. And, uh, you know, I built this brand in the UFC. And uh, over the past three years and on the Ultimate Fighter, that has to mean something. I have to be able to do something with that. You know, um, people know who the crochet boss is. People, the MMA fighters, and they think it's cool. But I want the, I really want the yarn community to know. Like, I'm real passionate about my shit. I don't know if people really know that. I'm passionate about the shit I make. And like I say, this is this is my motto. Your grandma can make what I make, but my colorways is hitting way better. When them new J's come out, you ain't gonna go to grandma for a hat. You're gonna come to the crochet boss for the hat to match some new J's. Like that's where I'm at with it. Like it has to be. Like if I if I mess up something while I'm crocheting it, guess what? If I figure out after I'm almost done, guess what? 
we take it all apart and we do it again. Because you can't, you can't tell somebody, hey, I'm gonna make you pay a premium price for a subpar product. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So, and I crochet all my stuff. All my stuff is man-made. All the crochet balls and stuff is man-made. Uh, oh, I didn't show you these. I'm gonna pick these up. This is what I recently been doing now. You ready? Oh, hold on. <laughs> like, what the? These are coasters. Okay. Oh, that's fucking tremendous. So these are beer cans that I, I, I drank the beer. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we <laughs> then we cut up, well, we cut up the coaster. We cut up the, the, uh, the can. Yeah. Make coasters out of them. Look at There's that. another one. Cork on the back, premium product. Come on, you know. I, I, but this is like again my creative. I love it, man. This is this is what people don't realize. Like everybody can do what I'm doing right now. Like this is how it comes out. Look at that. I got this. You know. That's Pokemon right there. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, what's her name. Puff? I don't know that one, but I got Bulbasaur and I got a little Charmander. Oh, Charmander. Oh, hell yeah. My, Charmander. my brother got a, um, when he was in fifth grade, my sister got him a Charizard card. The, the, uh, the first edition one? Uh, who, uh, this is going back to 1998 yeah. or something. You know how much those are right now? It's ridiculous. It's, he could retire on it. Do you know, uh, who's that? That guy, Jake Paul's brother, Logan Paul. Okay. Spent $1 million for a full, it took him three months, a million dollars to get a full collection of the first edition Pokemon. All the ones that we used to have, I don't, right. I'm almost 35. So all the ones that I used to have in high school, like all of them, that I didn't take care of. If I just want to take care of them. <laughs> right. Isn't that crazy? Yep. Yeah, my brother was big into into the Pokemon. I'm I'm older. I'm 44, so I uh I didn't. I, it was after me, but my kid, my son had Pokemon's when he was growing up. Yeah, you're I just 44? noticed. That. 44. Yeah. Lucky yeah. you, man. You look like you're good in your 30s. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I yeah. look like you when I, I'm <laughs> waiting for my grades to come in. Kind of everybody like, Mo, why are you waiting for your grades? I'm like, man. I look too young. I'm about, I'm ready to look seasoned, big homie. It's like <laughs> a lot of women are like, yo. Why do you want gray hair? I, said, I want that salt and pepper look. Yeah, yep. I'm getting all the brand this year. Part of the brand. I was asking why I don't cut my hair because I'm afraid. So all my all my boys been cutting their hair. They be getting fades and getting braids and shades, and now they ain't got no hair. And then it's like one Le- with LeBron. All of a sudden, you're like, "Whoa, what's going on up there? What's going on?" And they try to keep it when they, they way back here. That hairline, wait, you see his, his headband be way back here. Yeah. The classic horseshoe pattern. I told my brother, I was like, hey, what made you let it go? He goes, yo, I thought I was good because I could see the front of my hair. He goes, so my brother don't play sports. My brother got a, got a college degree playing at Hofstra University in Long Island. And then he he went to the Canadian League, didn't like it, and cut his losses. Like, all right, I got a degree out of the deal from a private school, which that's a good deal. Uh, so he took that and ran. And then I became the athlete of our family. And my brother, my brother was like, I talked to him all the time. And actually he, he always gives me confidence. I talked to my brother probably every day. My sister Debo, mm, I wish I could talk to Debo every day, but Debo, you know, she, 
She likes to go her own. She lives in New York. She goes her own way. Okay. It's it's something having that brother, the brotherhood, the bond. I, I my brother's fourteen years younger than me, and I talk to him every day too. Really? Something yeah, special. me. We're only two. We're only two. So I'll be thirty five. My brother's thirty seven. My sister'll be thirty nine. So, but this is the this is the lopsided thing, right? So I had kids younger. My my sister had kids when she was eighteen. She had one. She's eighteen, but my brother was in college, right? And he did everything the right way. Went to college, got a degree, found his love. They got married. They bought a house. You know all that good stuff. I guess that's what they say is the right way. But anyway, um, I I had kids early, so well, it was funny when my brother went into the work field. You know, he I worked at a bank. I was a debt collector. Like a lot of my jobs I had were like useful for life skills. Cause at the time I didn't know how to read a credit bureau when I became a debt collector, but guess what? Now I can interpret my credit bureau and I know how to fix it. Right. And I don't got to call somebody to fix it. That's now worked for capital one for years, man. And, uh, you know, I learned about bank accounts and compounded interest. I learned about just all those life things that you kind of, if your parents don't give you that information, it's, you got to learn it on your own. Right. Same thing about like money and bank accounts. You know, unfortunately, school doesn't teach us about money. Right. They teach us about money because all the rich people know about money. They don't want us to. They don't want us to know about money. They want us to learn how to be employees. We go to school to be employees, right? And this is my thought personally. So we go to school to learn how to be employees. What do they say? You go to school, you get a degree, you get a good job, you stay there twenty years, you retire, you got a retirement, right? So, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. We, we need people who want to be employees. Some people just like to, you know, turn off their computer, walk away like, I'll, I'll deal with the shit tomorrow. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But there's a small few of us that are like, nah, nah. I like, like, for instance, I woke up 8.55. No, 8.50. I woke up at 8.50. I've been up for a while, but I woke up at 8.50. And my daughter was laying with me and I wasn't in a rush. I woke up and got on the computer and I get things on my own time, right? Is it more scary? Yep. Is it more uncertain? Yep. But am I down for the ride? Yep. I, I Yeah, man, I'm happier. I'm happier. And actually my happiness means more than any amount of money I could have, actually. And I didn't realize, I never realized that. I was like, F all that. Yeah, all that money don't buy happiness. Well, you gotta you gotta have to give me the money. I gotta see for myself. I'll try it out first. I'll let you know. <laughs> hey, hey, you gotta give me the money. I just gotta see for myself. Yeah. And uh, for the longest, man, I thought money would buy the happiness, and uh, it doesn't. It just doesn't. You gotta, you gotta choose to be happy. You gotta figure out what makes you happy, and figure out what makes you pick. And you gotta go for it. I, I always told myself that I don't. I don't want to be one of those guys that looks back like. <laughs> Man, if I just would have took that leap, man, who knows what I could have been doing? You know, I just never wanted to be that guy. And uh, even if I fail and fall flat on my face, I'll go get a job. All them jobs going to always be there. They ain't going nowhere. And you know what, what you're mean? doing is you're, you're showing your kids the importance of family and you're showing your kids the importance of believing in yourself, betting on yourself and taking that risk. So what an important life lesson that you don't learn in school. You were just mentioning oh. things that you learn in school. You don't learn that shit in school. Nope. Now, unless you go to like a, go to like a charter school that, yeah. you know, they got those now, right? Charter, like in here in Albuquerque, we had 96 schools in our district. That's ridiculous. Yeah. At least I think it is, right? 
It's absolutely yeah. They must be real small little niche schools then, right? Bro, no, but they're not. This is the problem. So when we moved here, that was our thing. We moved from Minnesota. In Minnesota, the school that my fiance went to, a public school called Sartell, one of the best schools in the state. Test scores, teachers, like to move to Albuquerque, which, no, I'll just say it. Yeah, the school system sucks in, in a way. Like, there's a lot of kids, a lot of schools. There's literally only two elementary schools that are nine out of 10 stars. Two. We go, that's why we live where we live now. Because I just need to make sure my son got the support he needed in the school to be successful. That's really that's really all it's about, right? Yeah. If my kids I mean, are happy, I mean, I'm happy right now. So if my kids are happy, I'm not gonna stress. I'm gonna be happy. You know, I told my I told Jack, I said, Jack, it's time to go to bed. He goes, Dad, it's summer. I said, damn. Doesn't <laughs> <laughs> mean you're gonna bed at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and yo, we gotta get we gotta we gotta get up. You know what time daddy wakes up? He goes, Yeah, dad, you're up at like five o'clock. I say, yeah, you usually wake up around six. See, so I don't know, man. I, I just can't preach enough. Everybody has to find it themselves, though. I mean, it's easy to say like money won't buy happiness, but when you when you don't have much of it and you're trying to build it, you don't want to hear none of that shit. I, mean, I didn't either. And so the other thing that I think about my happiness, but it'll help. <laughs> yeah, oh, it it does, right? Yeah, but you know what the difference is? I that. We do different things as a family now. We got a pool right out here. We'll go and barbecue at the pool and spend four or five hours at the pool. Be happy. Come back in, you know, or I'll go mountain biking. We live at the base of the mountain up here. So I'll go hop on the trails and go mountain biking with my son. You know, he couldn't do that in Minnesota. Right. You know, um, yeah, man, just, just trying to show him like, yo, you can do whatever you want to do, son. Okay. You can do whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to put your mind to, like, you want me to be honest with you? I don't think he's going to be, we're going to have to work with him. I think school's going to be very tough for my son. Now, my daughter, she seems like she's just like a mom. She's sharp. Olive sharp, like mommy. Jack, Jack is like me. It's like he thinks outside the box. So, you know, he was watching for hours. He watched the robotics joints and the dudes making the robots. And you know what I mean? He watched the robotics like, Dad, you think we can make one? I'm like, yeah. I don't know how, but I'll try. You can make it out of you can make it out of beer can coasters. I could make it out of beer can. <laughs> it could look pretty cool, actually. Absolutely. No, I, I I think my son's gonna get in there. I think he's gonna do something different. I don't think he'll be your traditional. I, I think he's smart in his own way, like his dad, like me. Like, if you put me in school, I'll be iffy. But if you let me be a free thinker and you let me do me and you let me move how I move, you might think I'm smart. <laughs> and think about it this way. Kids that, that do typically well in school that have higher, you know, maybe their their test scores are a little bit higher. They get really good grades. They're kind of, it's in that um, that cog in the machine where they're going to go and do, be good, really good employees one day maybe some of the greatest thinkers and, you know, most successful people are the ones that have to struggle a little bit and have to understand how they think and maybe have to think outside the box a little bit too. And that helps them understand how they learn and how they can best serve the world. So maybe your son is in that capacity. Maybe he has that going for him. I don't know. I just, my goal is to, I've always said this and my buddy Billa told me, 
Uh, Bill is the guy. Nobody, nobody knows who Bill is, but if you ever watch him walk out for any of my fights, Bill is the only other black guy in my corner. So two guys white. Uh, he's my best friend. He's my best friend. He's the one who keeps me grounded fight week. When I start doing stupid, he's like, Mo, where you going, bro? Lay down. Lay down. You know, he keeps it real with me. Yeah. Regardless of all the lights, the camera, the this, the that, people running up like, the crochet boss. They're looking at me like, yo, nah, nah, bro. That's bullshit. Nah, let's go. To this day, and, you know, I can only be forever grateful that we have that relationship where it's not like, you know how a lot of guys, uh, they change and the people around them change. <clears throat> He'll tell me all the time, bro, I'm not going to you a grown man because I'll leave you. I'll leave you right here. I will because you don't want to listen. And I, that's my homie. That's the one who keeps me grounded. He's been on this journey with me from day one. He walked away from, he walked away from the same job I did uh, to start a patent company, which that's what he does now. He's been doing that for years. <laughs> He's like, I just can't work for anybody else anymore. I can't do it. He goes, I'm going crazy, Maurice. So now he paints on his own leisure. You know, actually, I, he called me this morning about sleep. But yeah, he was heading to a job this morning. Got two big jobs. So, you know, we feed off each other. Like this, this uh, Lion Brand, working with Lion Brand. And uh, as much as we have been, man, we've been talking about this stuff for years. Like, this is the, it's like the pinnacle of what I would do. Like, I want to inspire, like, those boys that sit at home and nobody knows and they're ashamed. Like, yo, you're just crocheting. Be proud of it. Like, uh, do I got a hat, Maurice? Where is my hat? Okay. No, no. I know I got some hats over here. This is like my area. Oh, here they are. But like, for instance, man, I don't care what anybody says about me and crocheting. Yo, look at this. Are you at that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'll get out. Ain't no... Ain't no half stepping on the crochet, and I do this. I do this. I'll, these, this is probably the closest to a solid color hat you'll get from me. I don't make solid colors. I don't do it on purpose. That's the closest to a yeah. solid color hat you'll ever get from me. And these are my. Uh, here's another one. We use use two different. This is all line brand. Take quick. This is why this, this is why I use this yarn, man. It, it just comes out so nice. And these are my headbands. They go, they go like that. Yeah, kind of like the turban style headband, where it tapers off the head here and crosses. I actually learned how to make this on a uh, flight back after Glory Kickboxing from Denver. I was uh, saw it. I just saw an idea. Then I was like, all right, I can make that because I don't read patterns. So, and most patterns, um, it deals with like smaller yarn, right? So. I have to adjust every pattern I ever look at, right? So I just start crocheting and over time I figure out the best way to do it. So now I figure out the best way to do this. I make two cuts and it, because you know, the least amount of cuts, the stronger it is over time, right? So I made two cuts of my yarn, that's it. Just right in here. But beside that, yeah, this is, this is what my headbands look like. I make only a couple pieces, man. But I wanna get into making some, I wanna do bathing suits. I want to figure out a way to make uh, dope bathing suits with some cotton yarn. Um, but I just don't know if it's going to be too heavy. And then I don't know. 
I've never made one, and all women are different shapes and sizes. Yeah. It's really, really hard to find common ground there. So that's what's been stopping me so far. But I'm trying to figure out, you ain't going to wear this with your bathing suit. Right. Especially <laughs> in New Mexico. The, the... Oh, wait. Oh, no. You can wear these in New Mexico. Right. Okay. Guess what? It snows up here. We get all, all four seasons, actually. Okay. Weather here in New Mexico, surprisingly, is beautiful. You get all four seasons. Like, I was talking to a woman at the pool. She said the uh, the worst weather is, you know, when it's warm, but it's really – we get a lot of wind, you know. And when the wind, it blows up the dirt, it gets in your eyes. She said that's where it gets bad. But the snow here ain't nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. It's not cold. We can play in it. It goes away in three days. Oh, man. I run. Yeah. You can't beat the weather in New, in New Mexico. Well, from what I'm understanding is people from, like, L.A. are starting to move out here to New Mexico because it's cheaper. Cost of living is cheaper. And the weather is very comfortable. Better. Not better. And the yeah. traffic. Not as bad. No. I'll never, <laughs> live in, I'll never live in L.A. I don't think I ever live in New York. I'll probably never live in Chicago again. This may be my last stop for me. New Mexico may be it. My kids love it. See? That's mo- most son, important. I said, Jack, <laughs> I said, Jack, do you love it here? He goes, do you want to go back to Minnesota? No, Dad. No. <laughs> hard, hard pass. Hard pass. Super hard pass. <laughs> but uh, it's beautiful here, man. It's beautiful. And I and I can be – yeah, it's beautiful here. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I'm happy. I and that I, makes I, all this crafting so much easier because I'm able to zone out. Like some nights I'll zone out till 2, 3 a.m., whether it's making some cultures or crocheting or yeah, this stuff keeps me grounded for real. I'm so interested in the crochet part of it. You talked about you were, you started doing that on a commute. You were on, on a train and yeah. you're going from one place to another. And it was probably like a meditative thing for you as well. You can kind of get into this frame of mind. How did that serve you? How did doing that serve you in the, in the octagon or in the, you know, as you were doing MMA, how did crocheting help you in, in that capacity? Oh, it just helped me think about, think about it. When you're crocheting, if you're, if you're really into crocheting, right. All you're thinking about is the next stitch. All right. Making sure you're going into the right. You know, if you're doing a front loop, back loop, front post, back post, whatever the, whatever the stitch you're doing, right. You gotta make sure you're, you're going in the right parts of the yarn. So when you're crocheting, you don't have time to think about all that uh, all that extra garbage, especially around fight time. You know, I can't tell you how many times I went through my head and psyched myself out before the fight. The Greg Hardy fight, psyched myself out. Oh, he's stronger than me, huh? Psyched myself out before the fight. The, 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 the times that I crochet, when you crochet, you, you can't think about anything else but crocheting. So it, all that stress that I would normally have and those butterflies, I'm just crocheting. That's why I would do it, actually. Um, and I do it for every fight. And when you think about it this way, too, just that mindset of, like, the next stitch, the next – it's almost like in a fight where you – instead of, like, thinking about the big thing about, you know, a knockout, you're just like, I'm worried about the next move that I'm going to make yes. that I'm going to make that I'm going to counter. And it helps you kind of stay in that specific moment rather than thinking and then letting yourself be vulnerable to an attack. I got, I got to tell people all the time, it's like, what, what does crocheting do for fighting? I say crocheting is kind of like fighting. For, it's the same thing for me. It gives, us, it gives me a way to be creative on two platforms, right? My fighting style and what you do in a cage and how you put your moves together that day, that's your creative ability to, you know, take all these martial arts 
and show what what that version of you is. That's creativity. As much as you want to say, it's creativity. It's the same thing when I'm crocheting, you know? So, like, for instance, it's good. Yeah, that's a good example. All right, so this, very simple. It looks dope, right? You know, like, some of these are front post double crochets. These are back loop double crochets. That's how you get that piping there. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the artistic figuring out, learning the stitches. Okay, now how am I going to group these stitches together to make it look cool? So you try things, right? Same thing in fighting. I try, I'll try a combo. Oh, it didn't work. Okay, let's go back again. Same thing here. Ah, it didn't work. I'll go back and do it again. Until you find, you know, you see the, the yeah. you see the, you find something that works. And everyone is different. There's no fight that's the same. Like, there's no hat that's the same. So that's what everybody always asks me about crocheting. Like, why? The, because it gives me the ability to be creative. I think of it, I think of crocheting like I think of fighting, right? As my combos that I put together, my color combos and are the same thing as the combos I put together with these and my knees and my in my feet. You know what I mean? Um, but they both help me in in different ways. You yeah. know, crochet helps me calm, focus, and MMA is my confidence for real. You know, when you're preparing for a fight. How much? So talk talk to me a little bit about your training routine. So say you have a fight coming up in two months. Yep. How do you kind of work yourself to get ready from that point until the, the minute you step in? Well, I try to stay in good shape at all times. You know, I, I, I eat clean, and it's become a lifestyle because I was three thirty. So I just it's not like I start eating clean when I get into right. You know, my fiance <laughs> she probably cooks probably. Just as good as a gourmet chef. I'm not gonna lie to you. She watched like every master chef, top chef, all of them. Watch all of them. She'd be surprised. So I've been eating very good. I'm in the best shape at almost 35 that I've ever been in my whole life. And a lot of that is because of what she's cooked and what I put in my body in addition to. So, oh damn, I forgot the question. Just your your routine, your training routine to get ready. Oh, um. Man, it's figuring out what the game plan is. Once I figure out what the game plan is, we work the game plan. And uh, as far as training, man, I'll fight tomorrow. Like, that's where I'm at with it. Like, I'll fight somebody tomorrow. If I got a call and they say, you got to fight this tough guy tomorrow, and the money's right, I'll go fight that tough guy tomorrow. Um, I've been training 10-plus years for any opportunity. So my cardio is in order, but back in the day, I used to have to like go into a training camp, you know, now I do go into a training camp because there's, I got to work on my wrestling, this thing I got to work on, but the biggest thing is getting the guys in shape to go three or five rounds, you know, go 15 to 25 minutes. And that's, it's not a problem for me. My problem is getting up off my back, but the training regimen, I mean, you're talking about three, probably four or five days a week. I'm on a couple hours a day. Now, I may be in the gym two or two hours, three hours, but then, you know, I lift on my own. I run on my own. I mountain bike on my own, um, which I don't count a lot of those hours. Um, it's hard. It's hard. I, I don't count a lot of those hours because I just take it as me um, keeping my body healthy, you know, like heart disease. And there's been a lot of alcoholism in my family and, you know, just little shit like that where it's like, all right. I got to change the cycle. You know, most of my grandparents and they've died in their sixties, man. Then he makes it to 70. Yeah. You know? So like I was telling my dad, my dad, you know, he's on the path to be healthy as well. 
He's like, yeah, Maurice, I changed that cycle. My dad would be 50, no, 60. Yeah, maybe 60 this year. Um, and I just, I want to be around for my kids when my children are, you know, in their 40s and I, I got grandchildren. I'm not trying to be, trying to be still running around with them. So it's really important, especially with all these, like, these things that these, things that run in my family, like diabetes and all that stuff. It's just important for me to make sure I'm health, as healthy as possible so I can be the best version of me for my grandchildren one day. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. It took me a while to get there. It took me a while to get there. I wanted to be a single dad. <laughs> I told my fiance I wanted to be a single dad. I don't know why I ever said something like that. Oh, boy. I would have been in for a rude awakening. <laughs> <laughs> so when you think about your you mentioned your upbringing between um new york upstate new york and chicago you said your parents split but you still had a good relationship can you pick out a couple maybe life lessons that you learned from your mom and from your dad or um maybe your stepmom like how life lessons that you learned that you're like you know what i want to make sure my kids learn these same lessons that i learned from my parents um man there's a bunch let's my stepmom's a whole different, I call her mom, but my stepmom's a whole different story. She's from Singapore, but she's, my steps, I got two stepsisters. I, I, they're my sisters. Like, I've known them since I was like 10 years old. Yeah. I'm 35. So, um, my mom, man, my mom just made a lot of sacrifices for us. My mom told us, you know, wherever we start high school at, I want to give you the option to finish there, you know, because those are the years where you're going to meet your friends that, that hopefully you have, until you're, you're, you're an adult. And luckily for me, I got two, two friends who've been flying everywhere since I was an amateur to come watch me fight. Um, talk to them all the time. My most dearest friends, known for over 20 years, which not a lot of people can say that these days. Right. You know, back in the day, it was, it was normal to have friends from high school. Now people are lucky if they meet good friends in college, it, it seems like. Um, so my mom kind of like, my mom always told us, and I told Jack this, I said, listen, wherever you start high school at, buddy, we're going to stay. I, I'm not going to move you around when you're in high school, right? I may not move him around after he's in middle school, but um, I just think it's important that he stay in one place for those years because those are the years that are going to get him ready to kind of like go to college or do whatever he wants to do. And I just want to make sure I'm there to support whatever he wants to do. You know what I mean? But I, and I want to make sure he has the knowledge to take it to the next level. Some of the knowledge that I didn't have, not to say that my parents didn't have that knowledge. My dad, my parents didn't know. Right. Time, right? My parents gave us everything they could, could with what they had. My dad was in the military. You know, it, if my grandfather, if my grand, his dad was in the military. My uncles and my dad's brothers and sisters, a lot of them were in the military. So, that was that was their path. Like, you want to get out of Canandaigua, go to the military. You know, that was my dad's path. So my dad did it because he didn't he didn't see how he was going to, you know. So um, and then I, I look at my stepmom, man, my stepmom was it was a learning curve. See, I'm a daddy's boy. So at, after seventh grade, I went to go live with my dad. So my brother and sister stay with my mom and uh, in Broad Alban. And I went to Illinois to live with my pops because I'm, I'm a stone cold daddy's boy. My dad used to try to sneak out the house. I remember in California when we lived on a Navy base and he tried to sneak out with his golf clubs. 
He's walking out, and I heard to hear the door close. Open the Dad, <laughs> where you going? I'm going golf from where you want to come with me? Yep. We'll get all my stuff on, run downstairs. I just, all I did was ride on the car, but shoot, I was with my dad. I wasn't yeah. chirping, you know. So that's another thing. Like my my relationship with my with my dad. Like when I get up, uh, my dad has to be to work at six a.m. He's dry, He's on the road at five o'clock in the morning every morning to work. Right, it takes about an hour to get in into work, and uh, five. That's about four o'clock my time. So if I'm up, I'll talk to my dad for an hour every morning. Every morning, just because I. I'm a daddy's boy. Yeah. We talk about all types of stuff. And you know what? I think that's really important for young men to be able to, you know, I can tell my dad anything. Right. And I try to tell my son this too. I say, Jackson, I just want to let you know something. I know some of the things that daddy's going to do. You ain't going to like, but my job is to be your parent first. Okay. I said, my job is to be your parent. Make sure you have all the tools. So when you get out of high school and you start being an adult, which I, you're still going to be with me, but I get to let the rope go a little bit, you know? I said, um, you can make the right decisions. You know, some things I, I'm not going to be able to help you with. You're going to have to figure that out yourself. That's called learning it the hard way. Daddy did all of, I did all things the hard way. I didn't listen to my dad. But my dad still supported me in those hard times. Like, I'll put it like this. He gave me enough rope to where I almost drowned, and he pulled me right back up. Right, right, right before I was about to just... He pulled me up like, all right, all right, all right. So you're going to do it my way now? This is how we're going to do it. You know what I mean? So I just want to give that to my son, you know, be able to do that. But he's a mommy's boy. Though. He loves his mama. Boy, <laughs> boy loves his mama. You know you know who I get stuck with? My daughter. That's, yeah. Well, I love them both unconditionally. Right. But you know how, like, some, some kids, they gravitate towards one parent. It happens. My yeah. kids know this. They know, they know I love them. But my daughter gets over on me more than my son. And my kids are big too. So my son's nine. He's five foot two, 120. That's a big boy. It's a big boy. And my, my daughter's, I mean, she comes up, she's the length of my legs. So whatever my legs are, she's the length of my legs. She's five. She towers over these five year olds. Towers. Like dwarfing them. <laughs> she's like 80 pounds. She, She's like, Daddy, I'm gonna be a gymnast. I said, Baby, you know you can't. I can't say nothing. Right, exactly. But, but she's doing the damn thing. She wants to be a cheerleader. It was like, Oh, she's like, Daddy, I want them to throw me in it. (laughs) Baby, I I had to break it. Like, Baby, listen, honey. So there's some kids that are built different, right? You like a base. Airman needs a base. Yeah, you like. She was like a base, Daddy. Yeah, you like a base. Like you. You're strong, right, girl? Superpower. Yeah. She goes, yeah, daddy, I'm strong. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to catch her. She goes, nobody want him to throw me. I'm like, mm, nah, <laughs> <laughs> well, she's My kids are solid. Yeah. But uh, it's rewarding, man. You know, I went through my trials and tribulations as a parent and making the wrong decisions to the right decisions to the in-between decisions. And I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and fake like I was a perfect parent on the outside. No, no. I have my, my, my trials and tribulations too, which I think the fact that I share this, this type of thing makes me, makes people know that I'm human. Absolutely. You know, I'm human. Like I go through the same shit you guys go through. And uh, I just don't try to hide the shit. It just says what it is. If you get mad at me, well, don't listen to it. 
Exactly. That's on them. Yeah. I I'll didn't tell you what. I'm making them now, though, right? Yep. It's never too late, right? Absolutely. I'll tell you what. The, the lesson that your father taught you, that really resonated with me. Giving you enough rope where you knew you were going to make mistakes and he was going to be there to pull you up. I, as a principal, I know there were so many times where I would tell parents, you got to let them go through the shit. Fail, you got to let them fail. If, if you don't let them fail, they miss an opportunity for growth and self-discovery and understanding how tough, how strong they really can be if you solve their problems. So you, you know, they know that you're there for them to support if it ever gets bad, but they need to understand how to pull themselves back up. It's such a great life lesson that your father Absolutely. taught you there. Absolutely. Uh, and man, I did super shit. I bought a house when I was 18. I was like, damn, I'm buying this house. I'm a flippy because Maurice don't do that. So damn, I know what I'm doing. All right. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. That was it. He left it at that. They said, "How the house go, Morris?" And foreclosed. You know, I told you. I told you. I'm not gonna yell at you for it. Now you gotta fix it. And then come to find out, the house was never on my credit. Cause I read my credit bill. Never on my credit. It was some janky stuff that was done with, with the closing. So that just tells you what I was into when I was younger. I thought I was doing the right thing, and I wasn't. And my dad was like, instead of yelling at me, my dad was just like, yo, go ahead. You got to fail. Same thing with MMA. So my dad, I was going to fight. My dad was like, oh, all right. Because I wasn't a fighter, right? But over time, my dad started to realize, like, yo, he's taking this serious. And he would call me. And that's one of the the people I talked to before every fight. He said, Maurice, listen, nothing else matters. Because you got a family to feed. You got three people to feed here. If, If you don't do it to him, He's going to do it to you. You understand me, son? He goes, it's time to go. Remember, just think about Jackson and Allah. Think about your family. So, I, you know, I talked to my dad before almost every fight, and he'd give me those words of encouragement. And he goes, Mo, you, Maurice, you came a long way. He goes, I remember when I, I remember when I couldn't even see this for your future, kind of, you know? And, uh, you know, tell me he's proud of me and, keep pushing, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, all those words of encouragement you think you should get from your dad. My dad kind of, he gave them to me. Even when I didn't ask for him, he gave them to me. So I can't, I had a great upbringing. I had good family. I had good parents. I had a, I have a, no, I have good parents. I have a great brother and sister. <laughs> like I have a good relationship with both all of my siblings, even my step siblings, you know? Um, yeah. I, <laughs> It's interesting. I, I just interviewed a, um, a guy's name is Craig Cooper. He does a podcast called Walking Purpose. Um, he went through some shit in his life, but he said there was this moment where his father, who was he was estranged from for a while, um, reconnected with him. And one of the biggest moments in his life was his father telling him that I'm proud of you, son. And isn't it amazing? You know, just those words, I am proud of you. Like the six words can make such a huge difference in young men just hearing that from their old man. I mean, think about it this way. Like, I fucked up so much growing up, right? Coming up. You know, my stepmom looked at me like, what's Maurice fucking up again? You know, I didn't do a lot of things right. But then I learned how to do the thing, do some things right. And that turned into more things being done right. And I kind of figured out the formula. I'm figuring out the formula because I haven't figured it out. If I figured it out, I'd be where I want to be. Um, but I'm a work in progress. So I kind of figured out a formula that works for me, man. And uh, and part of it's chasing my happiness. If I can stay happy, everything else is just falling in place. That's it. That's it. It's, it. it's hard to be happy. It's work to be happy, you know. But what people don't realize is 
if you look back at you look back at your life and be like, oh, I'm happy. If you can actually say you're happy, cool. But if you look back, like, I know some people that fucking hate going to work every day. They know they got to do it. They'll complain about their job every day. Find a new one. That's how I feel. I used to complain about my job every day. They'd be like, Maurice, quit or find a new one. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear that shit. Nobody wants to hear that shit, you know, or figure out a way to be happy here, you know, but stop complaining to me. So I started telling people like Capital One, bro, stop complaining to me. And then they, and then they offered me a severance. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's how I got, that's what happened, man. They offered me a severance. They eliminated my position and I didn't make the cut to get going to management. Thank goodness. And I took a severance to chase my dream and I got into the UFC. That's when I went to Ultimate Fighter. Like everything just clicked at the right time, right? So, yeah. It's funny though. At the time when you're going through that shit, it's almost like you can't see, you can't see four chapters ahead. You can only see that immediate, like that last period that happens in the last sentence of that chapter. You're like, fuck, how did I get to this point? But it's like, just keep reading the book. Go to the next page, go to the next page. It's going to get better. You're going to find that spot. So, Maurice, the last question I would ask you then is, you just talked about chasing happiness is one of the things. That's what you're about right now. So if you're, you know, say 50, 60 years from now, you're looking back and you say, from that time I was 35, you know, with with UFC where, you know, I just lost that last fight in UFC to now. How does your journey go? Tell me, tell me the story of your next 60 years where you can look back and say, man, I did this, I did this, I, I inspired these people. Um. You know, honestly, for me, I just, uh, I would, this is what I would like to do. Uh, I'd like to build up my, build up my personal brand as a crochet boss. Um, maybe do some more things with kids and crocheting and just being creative and bringing that, that part out, uh, in a, in a lot of people who want to be creative and, uh, inspire, um, you know, people to, to do do things that I do, like do what you love. Um, and, in the, and in the meantime, take all this and go right back to the UFC and do something great. Um, and then retire and, you know, keep crocheting or I, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know. I, I know what I want to do is I want to inspire young men who do like to crochet to yes. be something about crocheting, you know, because that's like a thing. Like people see me crocheting in public and they, yeah, you know they see me. Cro- I used to crochet on the on the train. I used to crochet on the bus on the CTA in Chicago. I would crochet on the bus. So um, I ain't got no shame in my game. Because you're being unapologetically you. You don't give a like. The, it's not something where you would normally see a six seven fucking black dude in Chicago crocheting, and, and you're like, I don't give a fuck what you think about really. me. I know me, and that's one of the most important lessons that you could teach. And I mean, I, I love what you're doing. I absolutely love this journey. You, and I mentioned right at the beginning, you're one of the most unique individuals I've ever like followed. And now that I know you, I'm glad that I know you because you've inspired me even to not give a fuck even more what people think. No, man, people are always going to pass judgment on you, right? Listen, whether you do the right things or the wrong things, you're going to get good judgment and bad judgment because you're never going to get everybody on the same page. It's just, never going to happen, right? It's like fighting. Oh, he wasn't good enough. He wasn't this. He sucked anyway. Yeah, I guess so, guys. I guess so. But I started at 25 and with the limited experience I had, made it to the UFC, started at three. You know what I mean? Like, 
I didn't fight my whole life. This wasn't a dream for me to say, hey, I want to be in the UFC. No, it just happened like that. And yeah, I had a rough, uh, a rough up and down through the UFC, but guess what remained consistent? My love for arts and crafts and um, my love for fashion. I like fashion design. I like designing clothes. Um, I designed my logo. I made my logo. I got, I got the yarn ball drawn and I outlined it. And yeah, I made my own logo and I make my own t-shirts and stuff like that. So um, that's really where my, where, my, where my heart is at, right? I, I fight. I, I can, I'm good at it, right? I could be the best in the world if I want to be. Um, but I also want my brain, you know? I also want my brain and that's, that's where I battle sometimes with MMA. Is uh, is the long term effects, you know? For you know, I had a nerve issue going on where I got hit like this, my arms and legs went dead. So it's like figure out what's going on with that and see if it makes sense, you know. Um, but if that's the only avenue where I, I, you know, I can not feed my family but make a substantial amount to, you know, to start this retirement plan, I have to do it. Sometimes we got to do things we don't want to do, right? Um, but man, if I could just do what I love to do and create, inspire, and and create and inspire, and you know, get in front of people and, and and kids, even adults. You know, you know, one guy told me I was at I was in Vegas, and the dude get got in the pool. And I could tell from how he looked, he recently just lost a lot of weight, right? I did too. I got a six pack now, but it wasn't always like that. It really wasn't. And that's what I had to, I had to break it to my son. My son got bigger. Right. And he's looking at me. He's only known daddy in shape. So I had to show him a picture. Like, Hey, when I met your mommy, this is what I look like. He's like, <gasps> I said, I said, Jack, daddy, we used to be fat too, buddy. I said, listen, you're a young man. You're nine years old, bro. You're not going to have a hard body like daddy. You're nine. <laughs> Like you gotta, you gotta grow into. It. I said, but listen, you gotta remain active, buddy. I know what it's like to be, to feel like you're fat, your clothes don't fit. And then once my son saw that, his whole tune changed. When I would talk to him about that stuff, in his head, he's like, "Daddy, how could you? How can you talk to me about how I feel with my weight when you you're skinny?" So now he knows Daddy was bigger, Daddy was a lot bigger, and Daddy got in shape. And now. Boys lost like 20 pounds. He listens now, right? Because now, now I was able to show him like, oh, daddy was there. And then I changed it right. versus him thinking, dad, you, you don't even know what it's like to be fat. You know what I mean? So like little shit like that, man. I just, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what my future holds, but hopefully it, 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 it gives me time in front of crowds and audiences and, um, just to try to tell them no matter how bad the life is, right? No matter all the bull. I mean, I went through some shit, shit. Some, I did crack cocaine for six months. I don't know why. I have no clue why. But I was younger. I woke up one day like, what the fuck are you doing? And just stopped. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, you only live one life. Yeah. But nowadays, man, it's just, I live for a different purpose now. So, uh, that's what makes all this easy, man. And it makes all this fun, which is the reason why we've been talking for like an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, I, know, I know. And I appreciate you taking the time this morning. Hopefully the, you got another cup of coffee or two in you before, uh, before you well, get we're good, man. We're good. I can talk. See, this is my thing. I can talk about this stuff for, 
I went through a lot in my life. A lot, a lot of it is self-inflicted, right? Right. I'm going to be honest with you. I had a good upbringing. had good parents. We had everything we needed. Most of the things we wanted, right? So, um, yeah, we had everything we needed. Most of the things we wanted. All, all this bullshit that I'm going through is all self-inflicted because I didn't want to listen to my parents and learn the easy way. But guess what? I am the person who I am because I took that road, you know, and I have these, I have all these stories from when my son and my daughter get older, we can have a real conversation with them. Like, yo, daddy done been through it. Let me tell you, like, you know, right now I'm telling them about people, how, how, how nasty people can be sometimes, you know, and how you can't trust everybody, you know? And unfortunately, Jack, I know you want to be nice to everybody, but some people just don't want to be nice to you. You know, and there's nothing you can do about that, but you can't get upset about that because my son's real emotional. So it really hurts his heart. He's a cancer. I'm a cancer too. I just, I'm able to disguise it more now because of fighting, you know? But I cry on TV too. I don't know if you saw my interview. I broke down crying, boy. <laughs> I saw that and I saw the She Show interview. Oh, I broke down well. crying in there too. Yeah. yeah, man, because it makes me feel like you don't realize I came a long way. So to talk about it sometimes, it's like, even right now, even now, but to talk about it is like, <sighs> okay, we're on our way. You know, yeah. I could have been in jail. I could have easily been in jail. Uh, I could have been dead. You know, um, I, a lot of things, man. I remember I got left in Mexico, in Rosarito, Mexico, and I hopped a ride with some Sereños and they, hoping they'd bring me back to the United States and they brought me right back where I needed to go. Walked back into where we were staying. Everybody who I was with in Mexico, they were already in there chilling. <laughs> They're like, Maurice, why are you mad? <laughs> You left me in Mexico. I can't speak Spanish. <laughs> so, I mean, there's like moments like that where I think like, man, you made it out of jam, Maurice. Don't ever do that again, you know? And those are the stories that I want to tell my kids. Why? Because I just want them to know like, yo, daddy done been through some shit. You can either you gotta listen to daddy and try to go the right way or find your way, or you can learn the hard way, you know? I'll give you the rope. I'll give you the rope. You know? And sometimes I can't. I, and I told Jack, I said, yo, some shit, I just can't save you. So you got to be careful in the shit you get into. I can't save you. I think about it this way, Maurice. I think about three things that I definitely learned from you today is, one, I mean, that idea of, of vulnerability. One, just kind of the, the shit that you've shared about um, being vulnerable and kind of putting yourself out there in a way that you you're normalizing that it's it's okay it's okay to to go through some shit and understand that you're going to need to reach out and, and and ask for help also the the idea of like understanding you know the role that you're playing in helping people understand you don't have to fit into a box you don't have to fit into this whatever society is prescribing that you're going to do you're the voice for people and it doesn't just necessarily have to be young men that are crocheting it could be that you're just interested in something that might be a little bit out of the the scope of pop culture norm culture if you're into it you want to follow that full force forward my, my shirt is fucking forever forward like oh, that's yeah. what i'm saying like you, if, if you if you believe in that and you believe in what you're doing and it inspires you and you're passionate about it who cares what anybody else says like you need to to 
like honor that in yourself and you've been doing that for such a long time and now you're on this larger stage able to do it and i see you not only this is gonna crochet boss is gonna be huge i just i just the way that you are and the way you can inspire your story but also you're like you can you can reach so many people you just your reach is going to be enormous. And I also think we talked about it before we started recording. I see you up on, you know, up on the screen somewhere. You just have this charismatic way about you that you're going to, whatever, everything that happened, it, it happened exactly the way it was supposed to happen for you. Everything happened for a reason. I'm, 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 I believe in that. Everything happened for a reason. Like, if I was like, oh, you got cut from the UFC, what are you going to do? Um, fortunately for me, you know, I have other, I, I built this, I, I built the Crochet Bosses brand, I think, pretty well uh, to the point where I can do something else with that and um, go back to MMA, you know? MMA was never my, that was my vehicle, right? MMA is my vehicle, right? MMA is my vehicle to get the message out, right? And sometimes it goes to the people in the MMA community and now that people know that I crochet and I'm, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm a yarnaholic. That's what I call it because I got too much yarn. Uh, it's really, it's really bad, by the way. <laughs> I still, I, even though I get yarn all the time, I still go <laughs> to Joanne's and buy yarn <laughs> and Michael's. It's crazy. But um, oh damn, I forgot what I was saying. I don't know. But what I'm saying is, people. What I'm saying is, I don't know what I'm saying, people. <laughs> Well, the, the MMA was a vehicle that's getting you oh, from where MMA you were. Yeah. So, MMA is my vehicle. The UFC is my vehicle to get yes. my message across. And ultimately, you know, I, I'd rather work in the yarn space and do what I really, really, really love. Some guys really, really, really love MMA. I like MMA. I like it a lot. It does a lot for me. You know, when you got somebody and you you beating them dead to rights and you know he can't do nothing and you still hitting them in the face and the ref is right there about to stop it and you looking at the ref, bro, that, I don't care who you are, that makes you feel some type of way. Oh, it's and – and I'm not even like a really like – I'm not even like a like a um, like anger issues, but in that moment, when you hit somebody and you watch their body go lifeless, it feels great. And then – it's like, oh, is he okay, right? Right, right. But in the moment, you know, that's how I feel when I crochet and and I and I see people stop and be like, like I'll finish a half. Oh, gymnastics. Here's, here's a quick story. My kids do gymnastics, and my 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 daughter, my daughter first, and then my son. So it's two hours, right? And they run consecutively. So I don't leave there. You go upstairs, you sit in the observation deck. I got one kid with me. I crocheted her that time. This is what I made. This is just the one I made during gymnastics. I made that and I made half of a headband. The woman sitting behind me goes, excuse me, did you just make that? So you, did you, is that what you started when, when you sat down? I said, yes. She goes, oh my God, your colorways looks, it, it reminds me of the ocean is what she said. She said, it reminds me of the ocean. Yeah. When you hear people that's what get. That's what makes me happy when I hear people say they're just taken back by the craftsmanship of the hats. That makes me feel like, all right, they know they're getting a premium product, and that's all that matters. You know, when they touch it, they feel it. Like you can see it; it looks great. But when you touch it and you feel it and you open it up, and you know how a lot of times you you see a whole bunch of yarn, all this stuff in here, but by the time I'm done, you can't find it. 
or you or when people look at it like where's the back because sometimes you can clearly see where the back of a hat is but sometimes here's the back i don't know if you can see it but there's the back right there right here yeah you can barely see it so all that stuff makes me feel good man. like when people actually see the quality and the love that i put into the piece that type of shit makes me feel probably better than them buying it really because it some of this stuff is hard to part with, as crazy as it may sound. <laughs> like your baby, you're making something. You're yeah, like, as crazy as it may sound, but uh, man, I would say I'm trying to make the world warmer one head at a time. That's it, one head it. at a time. We'll uh, we'll put that in the tagline when I when I promote this. So, Maurice, tell everybody listen to Building Men podcast. Where can they find you? How do they get in touch with you? Hey. Thank you guys so much for listening to my long rant today. Hopefully you got something out of it. Uh, I love doing it. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, at the crochet boss. Very simple. Um, yeah. On Facebook too, at the crochet boss fan page. Just Google the crochet boss. I'll come right up. I promise you. Awesome. So next time you're out, if you're out on the East coast in the New Jersey area, we'll hit up the lion brand outlet store. Um, um, no, I, I still want to go out there. Which means from, my, my mom lives in New York. <laughs> my mom lives in uh, lives in Amsterdam. Okay, that's where my sister lives in Amsterdam. Yeah. So I remember at the time my brother. I don't know if you ever heard of Josh Beekman. No. He played for well, he played for Amsterdam. Then he went to play for Boston College and the Bears. Huh. My brother and Josh Beekman were two top prospects out of that area. I used to work at the Saratoga Race Course. You ever heard of that? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. I used to work overnights there when I was in high school, making buku money. I mean, at the time, making like seventeen fifty an hour. <laughs> In high school, that was good money, that's baby. Ridiculous, yeah. In high school, that's that's right. big. So, uh, yeah. Trust me. Once everything opens back up, I've I've been dying to go to that Lion Brand store. Actually, so we'll we'll and definitely we'll hook up there. We'll meet up. In Jersey, right? At yeah, I'm in time. Jersey. Yep. But they were in New York, though, right? They, they were. Yeah. Now they're right by Giant Stadium. Just to you could. Oh, they're by MetLife. Yes. Yep. Oh, I used to I used to work for uh work for a ticketing company called Vivid Seats before they went public and uh i used to set up pickups and that's another thing i learned about the secondary ticket market and how much money you know you know for the floyd mayweather fight in in like fee service fees they made like a easy 300 grand in service fees that's just the middleman that's that's <laughs> their middleman in the tickets make a 300 grand it's crazy isn't it it's crazy that's it's crazy not. the yeah. mcgregor the mayweather mcgregor fight that's yep, that one too. That Hold was up. a that was a big, big money fight. Oh, that one, oh, you know how much yeah. those oh, he's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, like Super Bowl tickets, right? You can buy if you buy in face value, like four fifty, five hundred dollars. But you can't because they're already purchased by these ticketing companies, right? And they relist them, and then you're looking at fifteen, two, three. You got to get it. You yeah. I learned I learned about that market real quick. <laughs> but anyway. So I'll tell you what, I, I definitely have to have you back on because I feel like we could talk for another hour and a half just about it. I, I had like 10 more things I wanted to talk to you about, but we'll, we'll, it'll be a sleep. Let me know. <laughs> Absolutely. I, was, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't expect to be on this long, but it's refreshing to be able to just have a conversation with a complete stranger that you just kind of met. But absolutely. kind of share some of the same some of the same ideas and, you know, and you just vibe for an hour and a half. So that's it, man. Thank you, Dennis. My pleasure. It was great meeting you, Maurice. And uh, we'll see you next time on Building Men.
Absolutely. Have a wonderful day.